Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of HashMap on Tap. I am your host, Randy Pitcher. Today, I'm excited to welcome Fraser Harris to the show. Fraser is the VP of product at Fivetran, the leader in automated data integration, delivering ready-to-use connectors that adapt to change. He has been with Fivetran since the early days four years ago and has been a part of the rapid growth since. Their big news this month was raising $100 million in investment, making them a unicorn startup. Fraser, welcome to the show. What are you drinking this afternoon? Coffee. Coffee. Okay. Uh, how do you take your coffee? I take it black from a French press. I love the okay the act of pushing down the plunger. Okay. Now, do you do, you do your French press uh, warm or cold or how's it work? Oh, boiling water. Boiling, boiling water. Okay. Nice. I um I used a French press in college, but uh. I never got up early enough to like make it and I kind of like cold brew. So I would make it the night before and then just kind of press it in the, um, in the fridge. And that worked pretty well. Uh, but I have since, I don't know, come full circle and I do take it hot. Now I'm having an Americano uh, out of an espresso machine. So I found that that's the right mix for me of, um, of flavor experience. And like, it's super easy. <laughs> like I don't have to mess with uh, coffee filters or anything like that. Um, I am having uh, from Bones Coffee, which people have got to be bored of by now. I've been going through their Christmas in July kind of uh, mix. And I'm having their white chocolate peppermint, uh, which is, yeah, it's a lot more flavor than I typically mess with. Um, to be honest, I, I got the mix because I wanted the gingerbread um, in that in that particular variety pack, which ended up being super gross. Uh, it was like plastic. Um, this one, a little more subdued. And whenever I hear peppermint in like a coffee bean roast, I think that's going to be trash. Um, but so far, so good. Uh, yeah, but I also take it black. So uh, getting started here, do you want to start by just explaining a little bit about what Fivetrain is in your own words? And, and maybe explain how it's different from legacy approaches to data movement. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Fivetrain is a fully automated and managed data pipeline. Uh, so we specialize in extract load transform and where we completely automate the extract load for you and push down transformation into the data warehouse uh, where we can help you manage the, the transformation layer. Uh, and most recently with DBT uh, integrated directly in the product, which we can get into. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, now you've been with Fivetran since the early days. Do you want to maybe talk a little bit about your background and what it was that first sparked your interest in joining Fivetran? Yeah. Well, prior to Fivetran, so I've been to, I've been at Fivetran for over four years now, which is great because that means my vest, my stock option vest is done. <laughs> They're all mine. Uh, okay. <laughs> so that unicorn status is like directly impacting me. Uh, awesome. Yeah. But prior to this, I was running my own startup for six years in the marketing automation space. And, um, and along the way, I, I moved to San Francisco, met uh, Taylor and George, the founders of Fivetran. Um, through a mutual friend. And at the time they were just thinking, they were thinking about starting a startup. And uh, so I gave them some probably terrible advice uh, <laughs> on how to raise money and how to get started. And uh, in spite of that advice, they, they got into Y Combinator, which is the uh, number one um, startup accelerator in the world, uh, which be, you know, all these other amazing companies like Stripe and yeah. Dropbox have come out of it, Airbnb. And uh, we just kept in touch. Uh, and actually, they came to this pivotal Halloween party in my backyard where, uh, 
it, it turns out our in the, at this party, uh, it was about 150 people, four kegs. You just imagine wow. the middle of San Francisco. It was a rager. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm I now have kids and I'm grown up, but <laughs> <laughs> a different time four, yeah. four long years ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, this was like circa yeah, six years ago. Yeah. Um, okay. And at that party were George and Taylor, myself, as well as um, Nate, who became our first salesperson and now is our uh, GM of Europe or EMEA, and his wife, who Mercedes, um, uh, who uh, they uh, is now on our marketing team out in EMEA. So this party oh, actually had a lot of original five trainers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this this core party, you guys are at the party, and then is this where? the formal idea of Fivetran came about or what, what was pivotal about this party? I just thought it was a rager. I <laughs> <laughs> just like a really epic party. Like guys know yeah. they, they knew how to throw down. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Like you, you got to see this, um, the Halloween costume I made. This is the, my, my best costume ever. Okay. I, I, I got a piece of, um, like board from the art supply store and painted like flesh colored pixels on it. So imagine like, you know, it's like 18 inches by 12 inch board. And yeah. then I, I tied it to myself, to my uh, my crotch area, the general vicinity. You're and kidding then, me. And then I had this trench coat. Uh, and so I was like the pixelated flasher, right? Wow. Uh, Gosh. Nothing on other than that. And so the cops came. And like You're kidding. Oh, yeah. For the party or for you? For the party. And I had to oh, go okay. out front and like talk to these cops and uh, in my like, like covering myself up in my trench sure. coat. Yeah. Explaining Gosh. to them. That, but they were really nice about it. They were like, you know what? Like we were off duty. This is the party we would want to be at. Just turn, <laughs> just turn it down a little bit. <laughs> okay. So Fraser, the party master. Now Fraser, the VP of product. Tell me about that transition. How did you get interested in actually joining the team? Yeah. So um, a few years later, my my uh, startup kind of crash and burn. Just you know, the yeah. there was nothing left. Um, and you know, ima- you know, imagine me like burnt out, it, massively in debt. Um, oh no! And uh, and I was like, okay, well, you know, what am I going to do next? So I was just looking at some, you know, interviewing with some companies, and I was just chatting with them. Um, you know, for product roles, of course, because you know where do where do fa- like failed founders go into product? Okay, that's the joke. But uh, yeah, ch- chatting with Taylor and George, and they were Taylor's just like, "Here's an oar, start rowing." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I got on board uh, as uh, number six, and um, it, it was wild. Like I start with I was a front end developer, so I like it okay. was just like that's what needed to be done, right? So you do it. Yeah. I had this illustrious title of director of product. It's like, you know, <laughs> I had six people. There's no product that needs to be done. Like in terms of like figuring out what to do, it's always very obvious. Um yeah. or, or it's not obvious. And then you have a completely different problem. Um in this case it was very obvious. We had customers uh, we'd already hit what in startups is called product market fit. I was I was just going to ask about that because that's the really elusive part that, yeah. that I've always struggled with is finding product market fit seems like a total black magic. But once you have it, then things feel a little more, not obvious, but it seems clear the way to proceed from that point. Totally. Yeah. One of the, the hardest things about reading about startups online, there's like so much advice, except yeah. the advice never says, you're at this stage of your company and, yeah. and there are very distinct stages and the advice is very different depending on where you are. So like pre-product market fit is just, you run as many experiments as you can. 
you try and figure out like something that's useful or as uh, Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator would say, build something people want. Yeah. And usually you start with something you want because at least, you know, there's one customer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like that's the hack or one customer. Right. Um, and then post product market fit it, then it's like, you're refining all the parts of your business, your business model to try yeah. and uh, build something sustainable, repeatable. And then once you've hit that kind of, so we were still in the process of figuring out that repeatable uh, part. Um, and so, you know, George, our CEO was actually our, um, like basically our VP of Eng at that point. Taylor okay. uh, was our, our salesperson. So he's our, he's now our, um, uh, you know, COO running the entire commercial side of the business. But at the time he was out there selling every deal with uh, Taylor. And, yeah. uh, and then Mel, our, who's now our CTO, he was the, the third uh, person at Fivetran. Um, he was just building the Postgres database connector. So, <laughs> and so I come on board and they were, they were like, okay, well, we need an, uh, a better dashboard. So go do some front end development. Because uh, in my background, I've, I've, um, I have some, some years of professional software development experience. So, okay. So I built the dashboard and then our support was... Um, in terrible shape as like those early customers like it was bad we had a yeah. part-time uh woman doing support which means she would come on and like answer support tickets for maybe three hours a day and then disappear uh -huh. um but i remember she had this dog called brownie and brownie was like sick or something and it was throwing up and like pooping all over her apartment so randomly she would just like disappear like after like an hour so like oh, no. support that day was like one hour of tickets right <laughs> and so, so like after i'd i'd built this first version of the dashboard that like uh it was like the revamp i was like i have to go fix support so yeah uh, and then i hired um tom davies who's phenomenal um individual who's now on our um, uh, site reliability engineering team and he he was higher number seven or maybe maybe eight no or nine kidding. yeah and then i and then taylor was like you've done so well in support we need help on sales engineering so <laughs> jumped on to sales engineering and started that um and found uh stephen young who's now our head of sales engineering uh yeah you know phenomenal individual it kind of went like that until we were you know it was about a year and a half later we're at like 35 people maybe. And at that point, we're at the scale where you actually need someone trying to figure out so like the product direction. And so yeah. the, you know, the product role appeared at around 35 people. Now we're at 350 people. The product team is about um, 14 individuals, like phenomenal team. So, wow. And, and so that, that transition, um, what are the major differences on both what you focus on and how the company exists? Because it's not the size that you can all fit into a room now. And you guys are now multinational as well. Yeah. Well, like when you're the single person doing it, um, five trans value is that is that we automate the this really crappy task for you, which yeah. is, you know, wiring up these data pipelines and we take on the full responsibility for them. So when you look at like all the other tools out there, uh, with one with one uh, counterexample being Stitch. Um, but all the other tools out there make the promise that you know we're going to have this automated platform that you can use, uh, and then and you'll do your data integration, right? So like you're using Talend or you're using um, Informatica, even like all, and you you start wiring these things up. And what you realize is when they say automation, what they mean is we will regularly run our software for you, and we will be responsible for our thing running but you're responsible for wiring it up, for it being correct. And if anything yeah. breaks, you're responsible for it. 
Fivetran takes that and takes all that responsibility away from you, and we take that on. So, uh, and there's an enormous amount of work there. Like we, our engineering teams, uh, a little over a hundred people now. Um, our every quarter. So just recently, we got down to sixty percent of overall engineering effort being dedicated to reliability, whereas like circa circa thirty five people when I started being product manager, right? Yeah. Um, we should have had like 90% effort. Although at that time we were just trying to build some data connectors and yeah. uh, it was always like just fighting fires. George would say like, you know, don't worry, our roof's not on fire today. Like it's only the living room that's on fire. And, yeah. uh, and then like Taylor would come in and it's like, no, the whole house is on fire. <laughs> we need to fix this. Uh, it was really like just the nature of the business is you just have so, there's so many bugs because not because our software is buggy. It's actually like, uh, really well-designed software, it's because the nature of the problem is all of these APIs that are changing and all these edge cases. We have to yeah. deal with, it, with any given piece of software, we have to deal with every edge case that that API or that uh, database could possibly produce. So um, it's a really challenging problem. It's a terrible business if you have like 100 customers. Yeah. It's a brilliant business if you have 10,000 customers. Because it's a scale, right? Yeah. It's like you're the utility. And I've thought about that before. We're in data consulting. So we've talked before, like, you know, we built the same connector over and over. Why can't we just, in the past, right? Like back in the Hadoop days, we thought, let's just build it. And it's like, well, because then we can't be a consulting company anymore. Everyone's got a full hands on deck with these connectors. And if only a few of them go down, then you get a reputation for it not working. And then you lose the, the work. And then the economics don't make sense for... 10, 20, Fortune 500s, right? Uh, yeah, so that that's a problem I've thought about a lot that I'm very thankful as a data engineer that someone has come in to own that space because that's a hard problem. <laughs> it's, it's a really dirty problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so like, so, so from, that, um, from that first period where I was product manager, we transitioned to, you know, really bringing the focus on reliability. And then it was like 90% of all engineering effort and then over time, it's kind of tapered down 90, 80, okay. 70. We're down to about 60%. Like we're at a steady state of um, engineering effort. So. so early on, you guys have a couple customers. You're talking that 35 team period. I've always wondered, you probably got, or for another company, I'm not going to, I don't know, speculate with you, but you might have one or two massive customers. Like these are the ones that are making this work. How do you balance their specific needs that maybe they're just kind of coming to you knowing they're your biggest client to add individual features that maybe only apply to them with building something that's more of general interest. Is that a problem you've had to deal with? Funny enough, no. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's because of how our go-to-market started with, so our, our initial product market fit was with tech startups in the Bay Area. Okay. And it was all like small tech startups. Um, and, you know, at the time, I shouldn't, I guess I shouldn't say so. Some of our first customers were WeWork, DocuSign, Benefits, uh, and then this long tail of uh, really small companies. Yeah. And then over time, that portfolio, we built out until, I think, uh, George has estimated, our CEO has estimated that 15% um, of all tech startups in the Bay Area use Fivetran now. Wow, really? Or post-series, so post-series A startups. Okay. It's like, we have some significant <laughs> some qualifiers on that. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then sorry, so that was like the initial start of Fivetran. And what that meant is great go-to-market because it means every customer was pretty homogeneous. Yeah. Uh, and no one customer was large enough to push us around. Um, 
and to to probably be a we, we've had to loosen it up over time. At first, we were just like militant about we will only sync data that can be synced incrementally. And so our schemas would be like missing these tables <laughs> that we were like, oh, there's no, like it doesn't have an updated ad on the API. Yeah. So we can't filter, we can't incrementally sync that. And then, you know, over time we realized like, wait a minute, like the completeness of the schema is what's more, way more important than, so we, we've had to create these new rules and behaviors within our software to be able to, we call them re-import tables. So like maybe once a day, we'll re-import that table. Um, and then, so those strategies have become like far more sophisticated across all of our connectors. Yeah. But early on, it was this really tight group of customers and that grew. And then circa about two and a half years ago, we started expanding beyond the Bay Area. Or I shouldn't even say the Bay Area. It was really the Bay Area in New York, um, the two, like two big startup hubs. And we started really expanding beyond tech. And now we have you know, customers in just all sorts of industries. Um, like we did this analysis of like your ideal customer profile. Yeah. And the problem is it's like for us, there's only a couple of profiles that doesn't, don't make sense. Like government, we have like very few governments, no governments. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was um, actually, that's not even true anymore. It's really just government. Just government. Okay. But for now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we did this profile and it's like, wait a minute, there's, there's uh, very few commonalities here. Like we don't, we're not really strong in any industry because what it's really about is about what you as a customer are trying to accomplish internally and where you are in your, um, what we would call maturity of your data stack. I'm sure folks who are like highly invested in informatic would be like, no, 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 we're really mature. <laughs> <laughs> but like we think about maturity in terms of your adoption of the cloud and your movement to the modern data stack. Yeah. And so when we look across, um, across industries, it's like different companies are at different stages and what, typifies a five-tran customer is that you're trying to be modern. You've I, you've seen the light in terms of how much more productive you can be with the modern data stack. And by that, I mean, I, I guess I should explain this term. Um, by that, I mean, you're using a cloud data warehouse that has separation of compute and storage, um, like Snowflake, like BigQuery. Uh, Redshift's new RA3 instances uh, do this as well, uh, as well as um, Azure Synapse. And most recently, we added support for Databricks. Yeah, so I saw that. Yeah, Databricks as well. Uh, and then you're using some kind of BI tool on top of that. Uh, ideally, one that has a web interface uh, where you're running compute against the data warehouse directly, taking advantage of the infinite scalability. Uh, and so instead of using a series of you know in-memory cache data marts, yeah, uh, you're you can um, run and cache the results of these queries from dashboards off of the data warehouse. Okay, so in that environment, it's a pretty modular space, right? So you have your replication tool, that's maybe sometimes also your transformation tool, but those are two kind of distinct modular activities. You have your warehouse, and then you have like your BI consumption area. How do you think as someone who works in product about your place, maybe as a commodity, if we oversimplify and say, Fivetran just makes data show up, then anyone who can make data show up and they have, I don't know, maybe better economic terms or to people who don't actually experience implementing that, they might go to something else. Uh, how do you think about that and kind of expanding your footprint as a critical piece of this infrastructure? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I say is good luck. Yeah. Uh, if anyone like wants to compete with us, I encourage you to try. Um, you, what, because we've had over, 
um, you know, over the history of Fivetran. When we started, it wasn't obvious that Fivetran was going to be a leader in the space, right? Like, there, you know, Stitch was a brilliant competitor um, early on. Uh, we we have immense respect from Bob and Jake over there. Um, in fact, like I think was it eight months ago, I was having sake with Bob, one of the founders of Stitch. Okay, closer. Uh, he's on to it. Yeah, he started a new company, um, which is pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, immense respect for them. They really forced us to be better. Uh, but there's always been this long tail of like many, many little companies trying to compete with us. Like I can't, you, you can't even name them. Yeah. There's so many. Um, and they always show up with like, oh, we've got like, you know, six connectors or 10 connectors, right? Uh, but the, the reality is there's two reasons people buy Fivetran. One, ease of use and two, breadth of connectors. Because you don't want to like be mixing and matching all these, like having to manage many different vendors yeah. in order to do your data integration. Ideally, you just have one. Um, norm, like, I, I, but to be truthful, I think most customers usually end up having two. Um, so, which we're, we'll figure out how to solve that problem. Yeah. Um, I've forgotten where I'm going with this. Oh yeah, good luck competing yeah. with us, right? Yeah, because that like as part of our. Um, you know, George's um, pitch to the investors, it was like, well, what's your moat as a product? Can't everyone, can't anyone build data integration? Yeah. And it's like, oh, you can't see surrounding us this huge pile of bugs that we had to like figure out, we had to fix. Like it's just this wall of bugs that you have to overcome to come compete with our business. And you as an individual, if you want to build an ETL type pipeline manually like Python or what have you, uh, to extract whatever data you need for your exact purposes, you can absolutely do it. Like there's like no question within our, like most of our customers have the capacity to be building their own data pipelines. Mm -hmm. It's that they don't want to. Yeah. So if you only need to extract a certain small amount of data for your own purposes, you don't need a complete schema, then you could do it. But then you're losing all these advantages. Uh, the first advantage of a complete schema replication is that you don't have to have a crystal ball and guess what your needs are going to be in the future. Mm. This is like the, the I have in our onboarding, I have this whole story about um, onboarding of new five trainers. Like I've run this presentation on, yeah. like, you know, what's the old way versus the modern data stack. And the old way is, you know, data analysts being, or the old way is the board comes and like, hey, we have some new initiative. We need some reporting on this new initiative. So the reporting requirements go down to like the data analyst. Data analyst like kind of figures out like okay this is what I need and passes it over to the data engineering team. They wait like weeks, four oh, weeks, yeah. five That's weeks, six weeks. Time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Someone gets fed up. They call in Randy. Like, all right, we need this. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, that was a, a thing. I was. I, I don't want to interrupt your story, but like that's been a shift in our business. Is like it used to be a thing where people on paper would ask like, why should I pay for this transformation? I have people who can do this. And it's like, well, those people are busy, right? And if yeah. you look at how long it would take you to even find the right resource and then to hire them and onboard them and all that cost, it's like, you're going to want, like consulting made more sense than that for like a one-time build, but it's never a one-time build. And so now we just push people. Like I really, I hate environments where like, oh, procurement's too hard. We can't get a new tool in time. So we need you to write some like watermarked SQL that's going to, like, we're not going to do log-based CDC. We're going to just hit the system. We're going to overload it. So that means you need to understand your use cases, which they don't. Uh, so it's just, it's, we have to do it like a full lift and shift with no understanding. And it's like, that's not feasible here. And you're going to spend, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars when you could just, you could just get five trans, like it's not as onerous as you think it is. And 
I'll get that response. Like, it's just replication. Why, why does it cost money? It's like, are you, do the most simple back of the napkin with the most conservative numbers. Say you can find a person in a week and you can onboard them in another week, right? And it'll only take two months to develop it and maybe like four weeks a year to maintain it. And it still doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, the economics are great. <laughs> yeah, but at scale yeah. though, right? Uh, and, and I think that's where the real competitiveness happened. So when I first heard about Fivetran, um, Snowflake was a newer thing for us and I was just getting up to speed with working it and it had started to surpass our Hadoop work as the number one way we make money. And there were two other competitors in the space that came in the same breath. There were the on-prem people, right? That still did their on-prem stuff. Um, but for like cloud alternatives, there was Stitch, Aluma and Fivetran. And I first heard of Fivetran when Aluma was acquired by uh, Google as um, there's this letter that I, I think both the founders of Fivetran released about how this is actually really great news for Fivetran. Like if you aren't on a Google stack, there really is only the one good option now for the things we do. Um, and I thought that was really powerful to like own that. And I hadn't seen corporate messaging like that. And so I, I got involved with the Partner Connect, right? Uh, and, and then started replicating. And then we had a formal partnership come up and now it is just the best tool. Even things that I don't think Fivetran was built to do necessarily, I use it for. So if I have a CSV, for example, and I just want to get the data creation SQL for that, I can look at Snowflake logs for what Fivetran will do when I upload the CSV. And that lets me create the table for like other projects that I don't, I don't intend to use Fivetran for. It's just like a little hack for me. So it has become a really core component of uh, the things I do and changed our business, but I think for the better. That's funny. It always surprises me that um, that a feature of Fivetran is that we automatically create the schema for you. Mm. Like that, that, it surprises me that that's a selling feature. It's like, you know, of course, how could how could it not work like that? And it's like, oh, you go look at all these other tools. Like Stream is kind of the Aluma replacement. Like it's more or less the exact. Um, same technology, streaming data. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, you have to create the you have to create the schema that we're delivering data to. Why? Why would <laughs> anyone design it that way? That's a that's a terrible um, user experience. But I, I'm sure they're fixing it because it, it's such an obvious one. But... Yeah, maybe. And I think the centralization of the number of destinations also helps with this story. So I see like a phase maturation of technology that goes back, I mean this is my take. This is not like, like scripture. This is not like a guaranteed, yes, this is how things go. But you see like Tableau come up and just demolish BI. Like it just takes over. Anyone can do really world-class BI now. And then you see the warehouses pick up and you get these cloud offerings that are just incredible. You had nothing like this before. You don't have to have this whole admin team. Hadoop is like on its way out. Cause from my experience, most people were just trying to do SQL BI on Hadoop in the first place. That's all they wanted. Um, and then you have the ETL tools come in or the extract load tools that can really own this space. And that's where Fivetran really emerges. And now it seems like transformation is having that same moment where the rest of the pieces of the stack, they're ready to accept like a good solution to transformation. You mentioned DBT earlier. How do you think about DBT in the context of Fivetran? Yeah. Um, so we're releasing in the next few weeks, a private preview of orchestrating DBT from Fivetran. And we're just extremely excited and bullish to be partnering uh, with Fishdown Analytics on, they're the sponsors of the DBT open source project. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure as time goes on, we'll, um, we'll be doing more sponsorship ourselves because we, we are making investments into DBT. So one thing we've done is we, we stood up a new team that we call the solutions team. 
and they're building dbt packages for every single one of uh, five trans um, connectors or at least the connectors with like a standardized schema yeah and uh which is a huge one of the huge values of dbt is reusable data models uh, that you can just grab this package plug it into your project and instantly have like you know takes you 80 percent of the way there uh, to whatever kind of analysis you want to be doing the other parts that we're so excited about is the the built-in validations of your mm -hmm. models. Uh, so with DBT, you can you add tests of and your your models are all modular. So I'm obviously Randy, you know all of this, but no, of course, no, this is useful. No, please, yeah, for your audience. Um, so instead of building like huge monolithic, you know, SQL transformations, you break it up into modules. Uh, and then you can build transformations off of transformations. So you end up with this DAG, this acyclic graph. And at any point in the DAG, you can be adding these tests to validate that at that point, your assumptions about the data are true. And so they could be like constraints, like this column should be not null, or this column should only have values, uh, like, uh, you know, this set of values. Um, or you can actually have much more sophisticated business logic where you declare in a SQL statement what the uh, the business rule is at this point, and then the the DBT as orchestrating the DBT job, it'll run like transformation, 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 test, transformation, transformation, test, etc. Uh, and yeah. you'll get anytime the the test fails, so that your business rule is no longer true, you'll get a notification from Fivetran saying, "Hey, like there's a problem here," um, which is amazing. When we look at our customers, um, primarily people would like, you know, maybe once a month, they would have like a, you know, a word or a, you know, a Google doc, which would specify like, this is our testing. And once a month, yep. someone runs these queries and validates that it's true. Um, but now you can actually do it in the transformations, detect when things are wrong before your, like your data analyst or, you know, worst case scenario, this report ends up at the board and they're like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> We've definitely had um experiences like that like at the end of uh the end of a quarter where a customer is like coming in through the support channels being like this is a disaster our vp of sales <laughs> is screaming because he doesn't have an accurate yeah. dashboard what is going on and it's like you know sometimes that uh, it was us sometimes it was them um i'm thinking i'm specifically thinking about this case with WeWork, where um yeah, anyways yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so um that feels like an expansion and maybe a hedge against the like the commodity argument for Fivetran. As you build this foundation, you're known as the place data gets ingested. You have a ton of information at that point that if you add the transformation component, like you know, for example, all the HubSpot data someone's replicating will look like this because you're the one who made it look like that. So then you can add the transformation logic out of the box. For most people, this is a good base transformation. We know that. It feels like you can go further then. So if you're also owning transformation, and that means you have a lot of information about lineage yep. and maybe a little data profiling, and maybe you can expose some of this information to end users in a way that I think is the next tier of that evolution. We talked about Tableau, like the Snowflake and the Fivetran. DBT is maybe the next on that curve. I think that's a transformation that's in progress right now. But then the next step is you have everything clean. It's in the data warehouse. It's maintainable in a modern software development way. How do you share it with people who would otherwise just stick to their Excel sheets? Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely getting at kind of what our long-term product roadmap is around data cataloging, data lineage, and really enabling effective data cataloging as opposed to being a data catalog. Um, because we have all these standardized schemas, we know what every column and every table is. 
and we can start, <clears throat> excuse me, we can start exposing that information in the data warehouse. Uh, I actually had a call last week of Snowflake of how to, how can we uh, like add more metadata into Snowflake in a way that other tools like Elation or Calibra, like these data cataloging tools can pick up or, yeah. or even the data, uh, Snowflake's uh, numeracy was the, the company they purchased to build a better uh, SQL editor within Snowflake. How can that yeah. leverage, if we can be populating that data, how could it be leveraged? So like, for example, you could hover over um, a column name and like the description of the column would be right there, or it would show like the kind of values that are in that column, just an example. Um, yeah. yeah, we've got, this is a, it's an active area of product research. We're not building anything around this yet. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, these are, these are down the road things. And it seems like your main investor is also maybe thinking this way, Andreessen uh, Horowitz, because, you know, they've got that investment recently with uh, DBT, with Fishtown. Um, they have Databricks as well. And then they have you. This seems like the components of building like a whole from like source to end consumption, even future stuff. Like once you have that cataloging, maybe AIML is really ready to take off from the, the practitioner level that doesn't require all these custom things. And you can automate it along with the rest of your flow. It seems like a really grand strategy. Yeah. Um, uh, the the partner, Martin uh, Casado, we work over with at uh, Entryson is just, he's got, he has a, a, a strong, very strong vision about how this is all going to work. They've also invested in um, Census, which okay. is was actually some friends of uh, George Taylor and I's. Uh, they met them in, at Y Combinator uh, and their company got, at the time, got acquired. You know, they did their earn out four years later, they were out uh, and looking for their next, like next thing. And yeah. they kind of did the startup search for you know, six months trying to figure out what's the next thing. And uh, we were talking to them and we're like, well, something we hear from customers all the time is getting data back out of the data warehouse into operational systems. So, yeah. you know, uh, you want to centralize your data, run some transformations, arrive at some results, like some customer insights, and then populate that back in Salesforce, back in HubSpot, et cetera. And so they started that company uh, and uh, we're customers actually, Fivetrain is, and recently. Oh, perfect. Yeah, recently <laughs> they did their Series A from Andreessen and Horowitz as well. So that's like the reverse Fivetrain. Pretty cool. Yeah. Oh man, okay. So you guys are really covering the gamut there of uh, data needs Yeah. in the in the future, the future data-driven world that we've all been hearing about, but it is only now starting to kind of materialize. Uh, so tell me the last kind of question here around your job, um, there's a lot going on with Fivetran. This is a really exciting time, right? And a lot going on in the data industry uh, as a whole. If you could focus down rest of 2020 in the next six months and really achieve just one big thing, you could guarantee this one thing would happen. What would you choose to focus on? So there, there was this, there was this great quote uh, from the founder of Mixpanel, or he tweeted, um, great products are not from adding things. It's from maniacal focus on one good problem. I think I added the word maniacal, but <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I, I like it. Our, our our VP of customer success is always like maniacal. We got to be maniacal, right? It's like, all right, Troy, I'm with you. We're maniacal. Okay. Uh, and but it really is like how how why is Fivetran a great product? And in my mind, I, I think most of our customers would agree it's because of this maniacal focus on ease of use. And it, we just keep going back to the same set of problems being. Like, well, where are, where's the friction here? Where, where and friction comes in from, in terms of the user experience. Like how does someone set up Fivetran? How does someone understand what Fivetran is doing? How fresh is their yeah. data? Questions like that. 
But even more in my mind, uh, the most important user experience of Fivetran, the most important user interface is the data and the schema that you see in the data warehouse. And the most important user experience is the queries you write. And we have this maniacal focus, a team of product managers as well as, uh, as engineers working on making great schemas. And I think that's extremely unique in, our, in this industry is that real focus. Yep. And so if you are ever thinking about, well, you know, what tool should I use? You have to set up Fivetran and actually see the data because your, your analysts will be so much more productive like from even like tiny things, uh, like consistently uh, calling columns certain things so that you know just reading the schema you know what that is like is this the yeah. primary key well it like it ends with underscore id um to like broader things where it's fully normalized which means there's never any denormalized data any duplicates there's always one place with the correctly updated data and we guarantee that it's updated uh and that does mean you have to add transformation on top of that um that being said about 90 percent of uh, our customers can just uh, run queries directly. You don't have to transform um, and materialize. You can just off your dashboards. You can be running that transformation as part of your dashboarding. Uh, yeah. Because really, the materialization is, is an optimization. Once you you know run to scale issues with uh, too many people querying the data warehouse with too much load, right? But yep. So. So coming back to your question, like what would be the one thing I focus on? It's just that focus on ease of use, increasing ease of use. And what that means for gotcha. us over the next like six to 12 months is this, uh, we're, well, we have a hundred million dollars. We have to put it okay. to work. So yeah. how are we doing that? As a product team, we're taking all of these, uh, so the, the data, the data connector product managers, which we just call data because the product managers actually have very little to do with how the platform works. Um, how the ETL works because all of, or the e extract load works because all of that's yeah. like automated and managed by this central platform. Their real focus is on what is the greatest schema that we can deliver for this source. And they're looking at, you know, we have like access to every one of the, every piece of software we're using. We, we have access and they're in there like, you know, you're in Marketo creating leads and then like seeing like, well, what happens if we like click on this button or, you know, interact with Marketo in this way. And then we're looking at API outputs being like, okay, it changed this way. Okay, well, how do we correctly represent that action in the data model? And that's how you create great schemas. It's all these weird edge cases and how software works, right? So, yeah. so we're becoming just increasingly specialized around use cases where there's, uh, and you can look at our um, careers. I have uh, up, uh, a PM of product and analytic or product and engineering analytics, a PM of sales and finance analytics. And the intention is that we can keep scaling that out to every possible use case where yeah. there'll be these individuals are just going to be maniacally focused on what are all the types of analytics under that umbrella, like under product analytics, what are, what is everything that you're going to be doing? You know, funnel yeah. analytics, attribution, uh, new report or new feature reporting, et cetera, and building more transformations, more DBT packages that help people do that out of the box ensuring that the schemas correctly represent the data such that you can achieve that. Um, and you know, the, the truth is, every time we go through the act of building one of these DBT packages to truly understand the schema, and prior to yeah. DBT packages, we were doing more pre-built dashboarding. Um, but instead mm -hmm. of doing it at the dashboard layer, we're now doing it one layer lower at the transformation layer. 
The truth is every time we do that, we discover really subtle bugs in the schemas. And it's only because of that like hard work and truly like really hard work um, do you actually get at these great schemas that correctly represent the data. Yeah. And so that's when you talk about commodity, there's nothing commoditized here. Like good luck working with all these other, if you haven't gone through and done that work, then if, if your vendor hasn't done that work, that means you're doing the work and yeah. you're correcting for the errors in the data with your queries and discovering them the hard way because you've got, you know, analysts and end users uh, coming to you being like, hey, this is wrong. Uh, and, you know, if it's at the end of the month and it's if you're VP of sales yelling at you, <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> yeah, that I think that's a really good point that is easy to miss, uh, especially in like enterprise procurement where it feels very like, OK, let's all let's get the scorecard and put everything you can on paper. And then we just pick the one with the best stats. And then that's what we commit to. Um, there's something to be said for experience experiencing the difference between like a stitch and a five tran and a stitch has its place for sure. But the first time I go to a large client, 300, 400 source tables, and we deploy stitch and find out that stitch won't replicate a column. If it's null, if every value in that column is null, it won't replicate it. And then, okay, this is a ton of work. Now we're, we're delayed in this project by X amount of days or weeks to try to add these columns. And then you got to accommodate for okay, the columns might show up later and then it'll add that and then that'll screw up your CDC. So then you have to go back and change it. And then for like a large company, maybe the team who owns that database isn't your team and they might go ahead and change a schema name or they might change the way a table works and it breaks all your stuff and then it's a support ticket and it's two weeks and that kind of stuff's really hard to put on a scorecard, right? Um, and, and you kind of have to live with it a little bit. So I've, I've been in a cool position to be able to see these different approaches and where things break and where your true costs actually come from. And uh, Fivetran has been a really easy tool to recommend because people who go with it, they don't, they, they don't run into those hiccups. Uh, okay, so um, we talked a little bit about what you're focusing on, that, that focus on simplicity, on ease of use. But something that I'm really interested in is how people take an amorphous concept and measure it. So how do you take ease of use, which is something that you can experience, right? You can look at and know whether you're actually moving the needle as a product manager or as someone who's a contributor at Fivetran. Do you have these concepts of like key performance indicators or metrics that you use as a proxy for what convenience or ease or simplicity can mean and how you can improve it? Yeah, absolutely. Like you can imagine, like we have access to any data we could possibly want. In fact, yeah. we have too much access. It's <laughs> like our own Fivetran account, I think has like, uh, at this point it has like maybe 300 different destination data warehouses. Um, wow. Yeah, and it's just a mess. Like no one can actually figure out what's going on uh, except for the one Fivetran production, which is the, our, our analytics team is like extremely guarded about that. Like you can you can screw anything else up, but you can't screw this up. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Except for Salesforce API quota. Like our, our salespeople have this habit of like demoing Salesforce and then leaving it running. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to run the bill up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we've got all of these dashboards and you can, you're really getting at like, what is product analytics? Um, so you're measuring like every kind of funnel of how people are utilizing software, but the analytics, analytics only ever tells half the story. You have to go out, you have to talk to people. And so like, oh, okay. I'm on, uh, you know, as um, leading product, I'm on calls, you know, three or four times a week with customers trying to understand their, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the bigger picture. What are your high level problems? 
um, yeah. within the product organization. Each product manager has ownership over a very specific area, um, which really comes back to my my management philosophy is all around ownership, like giving people ownership and letting them run with it. Okay. Well, so that that's interesting. Um, I mean, how would you describe your your leadership and management process? Giving people ownership and letting them run with it. You find good people and you and you give them the autonomy to make good decisions. Yeah, yeah. And that you're you're hinting at like the the most important step there is finding great people. Um yeah. you, and so that I George and I were just joking last week about as Fitran grows, our job just becomes recruiting and writing blog posts. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And more so for him at this point than me, but it's getting there. Uh, where it's really about just finding amazing people and then trusting them to, you know, well, trust but verify with dashboards. Uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And that becomes easier because going back to, you know, when you look at a, a company with 30 people and what is the role of a product manager versus like, let's say, Google scale and you're a product yeah. manager. So when you're at 30 people and you're a product manager, you're just running from fire to fire to fire. Um, trying to build consensus as fast as possible, like within 15 minutes, like, what should we do here? Good idea, go. Uh, uh, what should we do here? Good idea, go. Uh, and when you're at Google scale and you're a product manager, like for example, when we're working with the product managers um, of BigQuery, yep. it's like, well, you know, we want to improve data transfer service, which is, so fi within BigQuery, you can click on, a few different buttons. And if you click the right way, you get to data transfer service and you can actually set up a Fivetran connector from within BigQuery. Oh, start, cool. Yeah, start syncing data right from there. It's 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 pretty slick if you can find it. Uh, can and you pay for it through GCP as well? That's coming. Very oh, cool. Yeah. So okay. through the GCP marketplace, it's all integrated. It's really neat. Um, the, the trick though is you have to be able to find it. So we're yeah. working with the BigQuery, uh, a BigQuery product manager on how do we make that um, the data transfer service more exposed? How do you, you make some subtle changes to the, uh, the UI to reduce the number of buttons it takes to get there um, and increase um, the visibility? And even for a small decision like that, which we would probably make in about 15 like minutes, like that, yeah. even now that would still be like, oh, this is, we, we should do this. Uh, they need to build a big business case, go get uh, agreement amongst many different groups. You know, there's yeah. probably at least 15 meetings there. Uh, to you know, over many months, and that would be like your big pivotal um, decision for a whole entire quarter was this like this uh, change. And so that's a, as as the company grows, product management tends to get more specialized and more like even more consensus building across more parties because there's just more parties involved. Uh, and so I think the size we're at is kind of a sweet spot where if you want to like if you want to be a product manager you have the benefits of scale in terms of dedicated teams to work with where they can help you uh yeah. but the decision making process hasn't slowed down too much yet uh, okay. be, uh because uh because of the size you can still uh, make those decisions quickly and get them into the engineering queue relatively quickly so so that speaks i think that combination of leadership style of, of... Uh, trusting and verifying that your people are going to do what they need to do to achieve good outcomes, finding the good people. Um, this speaks to like a need for a really good culture then. And, and a definition I read recently of culture is that culture is what your team does when you're not around. Um, and if you use this approach, you're often not going to be around. How do you think about deliberately building culture and what kind of culture do you hope to achieve within Fivetran? Yeah. Culture is so 
important for us. We talk about it. Um, we talk about it a lot. The and we we've had many iterations of our Fivetran values because you know we we made our first attempt it was too big, uh, and we've added more and then we shrunk it all down. So now we have three values: integrity, um, which I like to actually say just do the right thing, uh, and there there's integrity in terms of doing the like the moral integrity, doing the right thing for the customer. Um, yeah. Like we should not charge them money for this, or we should refund them money. Uh, and then there's also integrity, intellectual integrity, which is just as important as five at five trans reasoning from first principles and making really good intellectual decisions. And the reason why that's so important to us actually goes back to the, the, the start of five tran. It's, it's all, if you don't mind, I'll segue into a story and we can come back to values. Sure. Uh, it's how Fivetran came to be. How, like, how did we actually become automated data integration? And so you can imagine there's this like small apartment in San Francisco and it's George Taylor and Mel. So our two co-founders and, uh, and Mel had come from a university lab where uh, George had worked. Um, and they were hacking away on what George would describe as the world's worst BI tool. Um, it had no new ideas. Uh, okay. And nobody wanted it, so th that's a problem. You know, coming out of Y Combinator, they raised some money, so they had like two years of runway. Three of them hacking away, and you know, Paul Graham's advice is you know build something people want. Uh, yeah. Problem, no one wanted it. Uh, and so the, the core idea of their BI tool was it was a spreadsheet that was infinitely scalable. So imagine okay. like uh, imagine um, uh, Google Sheets, except mm -hmm. like you know, a million columns and a million rows, like really, mm -hmm. and you could just type in formulas and it would just work, right? Um, well, the way to make that work was, this is like circa 2013. Um, the way to make that work is, well, under the hood, it's connected to a new cloud data warehouse, Redshift, and it's just pushing down queries and populating the results. Uh, so like, as you're scrolling around this infinitely scaled spreadsheet, you can imagine it's like a, you know, select from where ID from ID or call, you know, et cetera, yeah. limit, blah. Uh, and that's how you get like your view of the spreadsheet. Um, and actually that, or that technology of this like infinitely scalable spreadsheet uh, is actually still in the Fivetran UI. If you ever do the CSV uploader, which is a yeah. little bit of a neglected feature at this point, but uh, you, you can actually see the original technology. Yeah, is that what that is? So I've always been really impressed because uh, it was the first thing I did with, I didn't want to connect to a real source. I just threw a CSV at it. And I thought, man, they must be using a really cool library. I got to check out what library this is. Okay, so that's from the early days. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, it's like far too complex for what it does, but it's like rendering, like it's it's pretty amazing technology. Yeah, rendering with Canvas, it's cool. Um, so. So they're trying to like get people to adopt this product and no one wants it. Uh, and well, but someone agreed to try it, which was uh, the CFO of Zenefits or maybe his director of finance, but um, at, he was an investor in Fivetran, like a small angel investor. Oh, cool. And so he, he he's like trying out um, the product and uh, he's like, and as part of it, he was like, hey, can you um, get me some data so I can actually try it? You know, I want something out of my Salesforce. And so George was like, oh, sure. Like, we'll do extract into this Redshift cluster of some Salesforce stuff. And he comes back a few days later and he's like, um, he's like, guys, look, I don't, I don't have any value for your, your um, BI tool. We've got Tableau. It's fine. But yeah. the fact that you moved Salesforce data into Redshift for me, that was useful. 
And so the context being, he's out there at the time raising, I think it was their Series B. It was like the first $100 million round like of like a B round. It was kind of this, yeah. this moment in Silicon Valley where like the tap money taps just turned on and something changed overnight. And it's, it's been different ever since then. Right. Um, so yeah. this is circa like six years ago and uh, yeah, like 2014 and Zenefits is the fastest growing company in the world that, and he cannot keep their investor deck up to date because it's changing so quickly. And you know, that change is having a material impact in their, uh, in their, their raise. And so he's like, just get the Salesforce data into Redshift, then we can rerun our queries, update the deck and get it out there, right? And so, yeah. uh, so, so he's like, can you just like flesh that out into like a product for me, Salesforce to Redshift? And uh, George was like, or Taylor is like, well, how much would you pay for that? And he was like, well, how much do you want to charge me? <laughs> and he's like, well, that discussion. Yeah, yeah. And Taylor is like, you know, the old, <laughs> the old finger, yeah, yeah. Uh, finger in the wind. $90,000. <laughs> and he's like, Phew. you know, for that amount of money, you got to talk to my procurement guy. So he, they, they go talk to the procurement guy and it's like, uh, well, I want a 10% discount. And he was like, okay. Sure, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm just done. <laughs> so, just <laughs> so first sale, $81,000. Um, you know, which we never sold Salesforce uh, anything again for $81,000. Like, uh, it's, you know, uh, a fraction of that. But, that got us started, and so the first, you know, for the next like four nights, George and Mel are just like sitting there, you know, hacking away as fast as possible, and they're watching the thing run, and it breaks, and like, and, and like go fix whatever it is, run it again, right? Like the TV's on, you're just watching in the side <laughs> of your corner of your eye, the code like you know go down the screen as it's running. Um, so that was like that was the first experience. But why have I told you this whole story? Well, apart from it being kind of funny. Um, in that moment, George and Mel had to make a snap decision about what they would build for benefits. And so they looked at, you know, what do they, what's the first thing you do? Well, what else is out there? How do other people yeah. solve this problem? And so they looked online and they saw Talon, they saw Informatica, and they were just like, holy moly, there's so many options here. There's no way we can build this in four days. Uh, and so like, what did they know how to do? Well, you know, going back to, I mentioned Mel came from this university lab. So they were both, uh, they both done, um, been at CMU in this university lab. Uh, and believe it or not, it was having monkeys controlling robots. So like brain implants into monkeys controlling this robot arm. Really? Yeah. Believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a cover story for some like money longer and stuff. Like, no, we're, we're going to get the monkeys to do it. Don't worry. Yeah. No, it was amazing. They had like 40 monkeys and they, George has these great stories. The truth, it, it, actually his big, his big secret was that they only pulled out the robot arm when there was like press because, because yeah. the robot arm would break. So why not just, so you really just want like a dot on a computer screen that the monkey controls with his brain. But gotcha. anyways, uh, I digress. So they're, you know, phenomenal programmers, phenomenal talent, like talented individuals with this deep computer science background. Uh, but they're just looking, there's no way we can build, like build this in four yeah. days, like all of these transformations and wiring things up, like, but there's no way. Well, what do we know how to do? We could make a, a replication. We could make a perfect replication of the underlying data. Yeah. And so that's what they did. And that it was just totally automated. 
there's no configuration. In fact, to start with, I think there wasn't even like you couldn't even select um, tables. It was just like it just shows up. Yeah, they just told us like, oh, we will need these tables. It's like great. Well, first connector just replicated those tables. We later yeah. added like one layer of configuration, which you could select what tables and columns would come across, and then later we added um, column masking, so you could block or hash columns. Uh, which, oh, cool. Yeah. So that was the start of Fivetran, right? And uh, we didn't what we didn't know at the time was that ended up being our defining feature was we we started with automated and we just kept by accident we just kept adding to that of like no everything has to be automated because like as a computer scientist how else would you solve this problem like oh yeah just like let's just add some logic here and then that logic is built up into like a very sophisticated platform that's doing like automated uh type inference automated column mapping, automated schema creation, automatic schema migration, uh, automated everything. It, it really does take it all over for you. Yeah. So so last thing, then I'll let you go. I know we're running a little over here. Um, is there anything you wanted to share with the audience you wanted to tell to the broad uh, group of people who might be listening? Yeah. Well, if you've, if any of this has sounded interesting, and I hope it does, because it's, it's been, it's been terrifically interesting for me uh, on the inside. Well, we've raised hundred million dollars, which is like a stupid amount of money. And you know, the expectation when someone gives you said amount of money is that you go use it. Um, and yeah. so I'm, I'm hiring across the board in the product team. I have seven open product management positions. Uh, and the rest of the company is hiring across the board as well. Like more or less any position you can imagine we're hiring for. And, and all of that is built like is built on a fundamentally sound business. I th as part of our um, press around our Series C, we we announced that we we've crossed thirty million in ARR annual recurring revenue. Oh, nice! Yeah, and that's been growing for the past two years around three hundred percent year over year. Uh, so, like, extremely fast growth. Like, there's something really real here. And uh, yeah. yeah, jump on board and grab an oar. Okay, and the best way for that is uh, well, uh, just your jobs page? Yeah, start with 5trend.com slash careers. If there's a role that's not there, there's a good chance we just haven't posted it yet. Uh, and so okay. you can reach out to uh, like our team like through any channel you want, and uh, yeah. and we'll, we'll take it from there. All right. Well, Fraser, I uh, really appreciate you joining the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, Randy, I hope you uh, found it interesting. I hope your audience does too. <laughs> I think they will. I certainly did. Uh, as always, thank you to the audience for listening. Please subscribe for more HashMap on Tap content, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap on Tap page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.